We are up to the Samach Vov Amen Aleph. We're actually up to the very bottom of the page, Samach Bez. It's a quick recap. The Mishnah has told us, actually repeating something we learned before in the Brisa, that the, the findings of a woman and all her earnings go to her husband. And this is an exchange because he provides her with food. And, uh, and anything she inherits while they're married, they, um, it belongs to her, but he, because he puts in all the effort, so he gets the dividends. And then the Mishnah will come back to the next part of the Mishnah soon. So we're up to here, the Gemara and the bottom of the page, two lines from the bottom. So Tani Tana Kamei a student studies, was saying over a Gemara before Rabbah, Brisa before Rabbah, and this is what the Brisa said. Not like our Mishnah, but rather that what a woman finds belongs to herself, not to her husband. And Rabbi Akiva, I mean, Rabbi Akiva says, no, it goes to the husband. Amalei, Rabbi says, I find that difficult to believe Rabbi Akiva says that the findings go to the husband. Why is that? Because we learned before a whole discussion about there's the earnings that the, that, um, the husband, that she makes, and then there's the excess over above that. It's called the hadofa. And we had an argument where the hadofa went to the husband or, or it goes to her. So, so Rabbi says, if the hadofa, this is what he's going to say. If the Hadafa Kibbe ends up with the husband, um, uh, sorry, if the Hadafa of the, of, the, uh, of the woman goes to her, then surely the Metziah goes to her. And why is that surely? Because Hadafa makes sense in a way. Hadafa is basically, she has to do some work for her husband and she makes extra money. So you can argue that it's, it's tagged to the work that she's doing. So therefore, it should all go to the husband. The Metziah is something totally independent of that. So if you're telling me the Hadafa Kodesh Rabbi Kiva, ends up with her, then surely the Metziah should end up with her. Why in the world Rabbi Kiva say the Metziah goes to the husband? So Rabbi found that difficult to believe, as the Gemara says. Amalei, so Rabbi says in the bottom of the page, when it comes to the Masyadeh, when she earns money and there's extra, we say, Amalei Rabbi Kiva says, it belongs to her, even though in logic you might argue that it belongs to her husband. Surely her findings that have totally unrelated to her earnings surely should belong to her. How could Rabbi Kiva say that it goes to her husband? Doesn't the way you quoted the Brisa doesn't make sense? How do I know Rabbi Kiva says that? If not, we look in the Mishnah. If a woman says, and we had this previously, coin him. I'm going to ban you because I'm making it, I'm consecrating it, I'm banning you. Anything that I earn. I ban that you shouldn't have any benefit from it. According to Tanakama, there's no reason at all to annul that vow because it's meaningless, because it's not hers to ban. Everything that she earns goes to the husband. However, Rabbi Kiva says, Rabbi Kiva says, yes, we should. He, the husband, should annul the vow. And why is that? It doesn't affect him. It might. What happens? She makes extra. We learned before she has to make five, you know, the value of wool, five sloy, weight of five sloy, whatever. She makes more than that. And that extra actually belongs to, um, uh, belongs to her. Uh, and that extra belongs to her. And therefore, he should uh, uh, know that vow because he's, he's saying you can't have any benefit from it. So he should know that, that, uh, that, that vow. So we see clearly Rabbi Kiva holds that the extra that she makes goes to her. Then surely the Metziah, which is totally unrelated to any earning, surely should go to her. Ella, you must right, Eifuch. Swap the, the opinions around the Brisa, he quoted it wrong. That Rabbi Kiva says that it, it, it goes to her. And the Satanic says it goes to the husband. Uh, <clears throat> 
that what? Mitzias Yisrael the Baila that what? The Tanakama says he goes to the husband. Rabbi Kiva says the Afka goes to her. Says the Gemara, I'm not so happy. When Rabbi Yechon had a few students that went traveled from Israel to uh, to uh, to, uh, to bubble and report what Rabbi Yechon said, Ravin, Rabdimi. So um, so when Ravin came, he came and said the name of Rabbi Yechon as follows. For example, she didn't have to work really any extra. She was just very talented. And what an ordinary person could do in a week, she could do in three days. So therefore, she was able to, in that time, produce more than anybody else. That's called a hadofa without any extra effort on her part. Everyone agrees the Baal Habit, everything goes to the husband. Because she didn't have to exert herself, everything goes to the husband. Key pligi, the argument that the camera is, let's say that she had to work harder over time. She had to work extra hours. So then that's called Hadofa de Tchak. It's not just came, came to her easy. She had to work extra. That is, extra is, that she is put what in. Is she the, giving him exertion or is it, is it the, the value? It, it's excess. It is excess, which means it's not really. But excess exertion or excess value? That's what we're saying here. That if this excess value came via excess exertion, then maybe it's not bound to the husband at all. She made her own effort for herself. Or do we say no? It's all it's all considered one one thing. So keep pligi the argument the camera keep is a very this very point. where she had to uh, exert herself. Tanakama so Tanakama holds in this case lebaila. The Tanakama holds that that the, the, this extra osa goes to husband even if she had to exert herself goes to husband. And Rabbi Kiva says no. That extra, because she exerted herself and beyond what uh, normally goes to her husband, then la'asma, she's entitled to herself. So the Gemara thinks right now that metzia is like an extra effort. Like, um, um, sorry, the Gemara right now thinks that metzia is not, you're walking down the street and suddenly you find something. So therefore it's like uh, extra, not through exertion. So in that case, everyone agrees that it goes to the husband. So what do you mean? How can Mitzia Rabbi Kiva say it goes to herself? Um, says the Gemara. Oh, but Papa, the Papa says you comparing in this interesting. Our Papa says you think that Mitzia is generally people walking down the street and suddenly they chance upon something. No, there are people who are, who are actually fasting out there looking. If we go to the beach, you see people walking around with these metal detectors, looking for rings or other things that they can find. Amar um, Papa Mitziasa. I, we compare Metzia kahadofe sha'ayideat hakami. That Metzia is actually through an extra exertion. And Rashi gives a few examples of extra exertion. He says, if you're looking for fish, you know, people who are, who are, the water brings fish onto the sand, and then the water recedes and the fish sometimes stay, and you can catch those fish. You have to go look for them. You don't just happen to chance upon them. Then he brings an example, you're looking for a deer with a broken leg, so it's easy to catch up to. Or looking for coins in the ground, you have to stand. You have to you have to um, deliberately search for them. So that's called extra exertion. Says the Gemara. Okay. So the Gemara says according to Rabbi Kiva that says that uh, extra exertion uh, still goes to her. Boy, Papa. What about also extra exertion? Because but the, at the end of the day it goes to her. What about also what about, let's say she can multitask and she did two in one go. Um, she did two in one go. Or, Mahu, what's it in then? Does the second thing also go to the husband or not? Or, boy, Ravina, what about 
with knows Shaloisha um, three, she's multitasking that she can do three idalad of four bevasachas, four in one go. And Rashi gives an example. She's a security guard watching over here, let's say melon, cucumbers, whatever it is. She's also able to spin while she's watching, you know, it's like knitting. So while she's watching, they're spinning over their flax. And at the same time, she's teaching women how to sing. She knows how to sing. And she's warming up eggs in her bosom at the same time. And Rashi says they used to warm up eggs to, um, from different worms to, um, to take out the, the, the thread or the, the silk. And you just sit there and they, so they're doing four things at the same time. Is that considered al yideat chak? Because anything you do more than one task is already considered al chak and therefore that goes to her. Or not, because since she's capable of, of multitasking, it's not that it's chak and it goes to the husband. Teku, it is a question. And the home of the Shani of the Loch of Rukiva or the Loch of the Tanakam. What happens the other way? What happens if she's very slow? If she she's in trouble. Then he, but we learned before already, it's all you know proportional. So, for example, uh, if she does the other works, the seven jobs that she had, right? And that's why she forfeits seven, seven dinner in one for each job. If um, she has other jobs, so if we if she's doing other tasks, then she has to work less for her husband. Remember, it's all it's one package deal. It's not like each one in isolation. So she might not be good at this, but she'll be good at something else. You're always good at something. <clears throat> now, the next part of the mission was if a woman was hurt, we learned the five different kinds of payments you have to make. You have to pay Nezek Tsar, Ripui, Shevis, So you have to pay Ripui, which is medical bills, and Shevis, which is the fact that she's now unemployed. Those two payments go directly to the husband because he's the one who pays all the medical bills and he's the one who provides for her and all her, all her earnings go to him. So therefore, he's the one who got, who got the loss. So, so it comes to those two payments of Ripui and Shevis, that goes directly to the husband. When it comes to Tsar, it's exclusively her pain. And therefore... Uh, sorry, one second. I just realized I wasn't there. When it comes to uh, when it comes to tsar and it's it's her pain, so there. Next time, please say something if you don't see me. <clears throat> um, when it comes to tsar, it is actually her pain exclusively, so she gets all the kids tired of the money. When it comes to shame and it comes to the actual nezek, so her value has been devalued, then. Who's, whose is it? So the Tanakhama said it goes to her. Abhidhubhavisayda said it's shared between the two. Two-thirds to her and one-third to him if it's discreet, if it's exposed, and two-thirds to him because he feels the shame as well, and so on. So the Gemara asked this concept that you share the shame, the Gemara finds a little bit difficult to comprehend. Says the Gemara. Uh, when it comes to shame, when it comes to devaluation, so introducing a new idea here that one person was shamed and somebody else who also was bothered by it, they also get some compensation. So what happens if you insulted the horse of your friend? So the owner of this horse now is embarrassed. You have to pay him money for shame. You embarrass the horse. You're introducing an idea that someone else also How do you, you embarrass, know, feels how do you embarrass that shame. What do you say? You say you're, ugly. you're ugly. How do you embarrass a horse? Let's say it's a, it's, a, it's a racing horse. And you say you can't even walk two feet. You know, you can't even walk. You expect to run. You make some kind of derogatory comment. Yeah, but you're embarrassing comment. the owner, not the horse. 
So Gemara says, Masus what are you asking you? The horse doesn't have, over here, it's sh the shame is sheared. The woman, uh, you know, is shamed and, and passed on to the husband. But here, the horse, is the horse shaykh to shame at all? There's no shame by a horse. Um, Let's if somebody spat on your clothing. So you're embarrassed. So do you have to give the owner of the clothes money because the person who's wearing the clothes is embarrassed? Those, as you said, by a horse, it's not shame at all. But here, the person's wearing the clothes and is embarrassed. You have to pay him. Even though you didn't embarrass the person directly, he embarrasses his clothing by spitting them. Maybe take what's in who said no. But now we learned. We, we learned as follows. Rokak, what happens? Um, oh, we will learn in Papakama. Rokak, somebody spat the higia by and the spit landed on your face or something. Or upara roisha isha. You're walking down the street and you pulled off the wig, the shaitl of a woman, and you exposed the hair. In other words, you shamed them in public. The heavy talisa mimenu, he took off somebody's coat and you shamed them. A substantial penalty. You have to pay 400 zuz. 400 zuz. But Omar, we actually had this story, remember, right in Brochus, when this woman's walking around in red, so this Amoida came and pulled her clothes off, and they, they made him pay a penalty of 400. Papa, the Papa said. Where do they get 400 zuz from? Is that is it a penalty? Yeah, where's it derived from? They, they, the Bezin arbitrarily decided they can decide whatever they want. This is this, this is what they say. You made 400 zoos, whatever the value is, because um, this is ter terrible behavior. What page are we on? Sorry. Somebody. Um, 66A2. What is it? 66. 66A2, just above the Mishnah. Thank you. Papa said, This idea that spit landing on the person you have to pay for embarrassing him is only if it landed directly on the person himself. the big if it landed on his clothing, Potter. So, but according to you, introducing the idea that one thing can be a thing and the other person gets the money for the shame, so the same thing should apply here. So the Gemara said, very simple. The big day, generally speaking, if somebody spat on your clothing, less lazy, it's not really humiliating. But when your wife was affected by this person and now and, and they brought shame up this woman, it affects him as well. So what happens, a, a, a rich family or a very distinguished family, they have one member of the family who's poor. So if somebody embarrassed that poor member of the family, the entire family feels it. The entire family feels it. Why did why do they feel it? Because really, they are sort of being reminded that you have a nephew or cousin, whatever it is, that is poor and, and you guys are rich and nobody's helping them out. So you're embarrassing the whole family because they feel responsible for this young man. He cannot take care of himself. So you should have to pay them. You have to pay every member of the family. is a very important thing. Even though it's their cousin, their nephew, everything else, it's not their own self. Your wife, we have the expression, your wife is, is exactly like you are to yourself. And therefore, and that's why when your wife's shame is your shame. And that's a beautiful And again, interesting, there's a Mogan of that talks about benching. How can a woman say, 
in benching, the bris that you've uh, sealed on our flesh when a woman doesn't have a bris. So how can you say that? So the Mogadabram brings an interesting answer. Some say because we have the Gemara that that a woman is like she's circumcised, she's born like, like she's born circumcised. But the Mogadabram says because that a husband and wife, literally, like the Gemara right here, are one and the same, so the wife can actually say in our flesh. And the so question goes, how could she say it if she's not married? Oh, so the Machsa Shekel, very good. The Mogadabram's grandson asked the question, what about a girl who's not married yet? So he says a very interesting thing. He said that every person is born married. Just because you don't know who your husband is yet doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not married yet. There's somebody out there for men for you, Bashert, and therefore every girl can say, Bif Sarenu. Interesting. Okay, Mishnah. Now this pair talks about the idea of a dowry. We already had dowry before. And the dowry, what the woman brings into the marriage, and so on and so forth. So um, what happens... And we also had a whole discussion if they only got engaged and then she, you know, she died, is he still entitled to a dowry or not? Generally, we said that's only they depend, you know, we want them to consummate the marriage. At least when he gives her things, it's only when they're consummated, when the when the mechutin gives it, maybe he's happy that she got engaged. Okay, so the father-in-law promised the son-in-law X amount. The mace chasonai. And then the son-in-law died. So what's the din? Unfortunately, we learned Yavamas. You go to Yavam. And the Yavam now says, well, whatever you promised to my brother, my late brother, I want you to uh, give it to me. The father look and say, your brother, I'm very happy to give you. He was Bashek. You are a default position. I'm giving you it all. And he has a right to say that. He's not bound by this transaction to pass it on to the brother-in-law. Um, now, this is the next part of the mission is like this. When, uh, when you... Uh, <coughs> Uh, what do you call um, when you write in a ksuga, when you write in a ksuga an amount that she brings into the marriage and then if they get divorced or if he predeceases her she takes back that amount that she brought into the ksuga. so we're going to learn here it depends if it's money or if it's actual articles if it's money the husband will take the money and use it in business so therefore if, if they divorce or, or he passes away he has to pay her a substantial increase to what she brought in because she enabled him to do business but um, since isn't that ribbis? it's not called ribbis because since the the chiv doesn't start until the moment he died and then you pay the full amount so in other words, whatever you, you're writing in the ksuba, which he doesn't owe yet, you write in the ksuba 50% more than whatever she brought in. She brought in $1,000, you're writing $1,500. But there's no chiv right now. And the moment he died, the chiv starts, and the chiv is $1,500. So it's not like um, the whole idea of ribbis is for the, the time, but I'm allowing you to use the money. But here, there's no chiv at all. For example, if she passes away first, you know, nothing. Okay, so that's if you brought in money. If you brought in articles... You brought an article, two things can happen. Either they depreciate in value or um, they inflate the figures to make it look like she is from, uh, make it more prestigious, the whole thing. So therefore, when it comes to articles, it's the other way around. We deduct. If she actually brought in $1,000 with an article, we write like sort of $800. We deduct by a fifth because we will say that it depreciated over time or we'll say it was really $1,000. <laughs> 
it was um, really only 800, but they inflated the figure. But when you inflate something, you, you know, it has to be, you know, you can't go crazy. And the same taken, it can appreciate too. Metal clean don't appreciate generally. Only if the collector's item. Okay. So says the Mishnah further. Uh, she wrote that I'm, I'm, she made up that we're going to give you a thousand dollars, thousand dinarim. Who He puts into the exhibit that I'm going to give you fifteen hundred back because he has the right to use that money. But if against an assessment on metal and portal items, you deduct a fifth. So the thousand dollars of items she said you brought in, and they assessed it for a thousand dollars. We're going to write eight hundred because of depreciation. Or because it was done in the family of the of the color and they inflated the figures. What happens if Shunbimana Vishavimana? What happens? She brought in a hundred dollars, it was actually worth a hundred dollars. It wasn't an inflated figure at all. Then Ainla Elamana, then he has to write the Ksuba. If she brought it in and it was actually assessed by whatever external authority, third party, and it was taka worth the full amount, then you write um uh, what do you call it? You write the full amount. <clears throat> now at that time, what is worth? Sorry. You're not going to know what it's worth at the time of writing the kasuba. Um, yeah, so we're talking about there's two kinds of metalkin. There's metalkin that was that was uh, used and metalkin that was not used. It's just there. We're talking about metalkin that was not really used. So therefore, the appreciation is not really there. It's wear and tear. There's the depreciation. We're talking about the appreciation wear and tear. But it's not really used. It's more that they inflated the figure. But because in this case over here, they, she brought it to him and she said, you assess it. And when they assessed it, it was talking worth a full money. And he wants to say, well, I should put in there. It's worth only, you know, four fifths of that. No, you put in the full value because there was no inflated value here. Then he continues. Shunbim uh, money. Let's say um, they assessed it in her place for a money. Then in the sense that she has to now give, if they wrote Niksuba, it's worth a uh, hundred is well, you have to give now because it's four fifths, she has to give now more. So it's give 125. Um the way you might how the Gemara reckons four fifths is not the way we reckon four fifths. It's an external, um, it's basically a quarter that you add on the other end. So it's 125. So he in the sense that she has to give each seller is worth four more. So that's four, uh, that's uh, four times 30 is 120, for 31 is 124. And then Vadinus make 125, 125, uh, 125. <clears throat> um, if she brought in, let's say, $400, if, uh, if he wrote in the Ksuba, you're going to bring in $400. So she has to actually bring five hundred dollars because in her house, when they assess it, they always inflate it by a, a fifth um, or, or a quarter of internal, which is a fifth of external. Um, so whatever the chassan writes, he always writes less than a fifth. So the Mishnah sort of repeating itself four times, and the Gemara is going to ask why. When we said that the father was not bound at all by the by the Yavam, I have to tell you the first guy was a Tamil the, the actual son-in-law. 
and the, and the brother-in-law was an Amaretz. Of course, the father-in-law was like, look, I wanted my daughter to marry Tambu Chacham, and I was prepared to give a certain uh, amount of money, but not for you. Even if the son-in-law was an Amaretz, and the brother-in-law is a Tambu Chacham, nevertheless, it's within the rights of the father-in-law. I'm more than happy to give to your, son, to your brother, but not to you. Poska lahachnis lo eladiner. So the it, it repeats itself four times. So the Gemara Hainurasha, what's going on? It repeats itself all the time. So the Gemara says Tana is giving you different examples. It's talking about let's say we devalue by a fifth. It's giving you different examples, and that is a thousand and and five hundred uh, and a hundred. Shuma Rabba uktani shuma zata ezutas a large amount and a small amount. <clears throat> It says they talk about a thousand dinner and then you you devalue by a fifth. That's a very large amount. And then it tells you in a case we only if you brought in a hundred dollars, and again that um, uh, what do you call it? And she has to she has to give hundred and thirty five. Why does it talk about both these cases? Because <clears throat> um, we would have thought that maybe when it's a uh, a small amount of money they inflated more because they're embarrassed. It's a small amount of money. So it tells you I don't care if it's a large amount, a small amount. You always work the same way. Then when it says the chassan wrote in the ksuva on amount that he that he is, and then we say that she has to now bring in, you know, another fifth more. We're talking about um, that she that shuma the day when he assesses, so she brought it to him before they actually um, they assessed it, and and he assessed it for five hundred dollars. So then he has to write. That was, it was assessed before the Ksuba. So then in the Ksuba, he has to write 400 because that was inflated. Um, and then the Shumadida. And then there's a case where she, uh, she uh, what do you call it? She, they wrote the Ksuba before they assessed it. The first case was Shumadida. First, he wrote in the Ksuba an amount. And now she's bringing it over. So we say you have to inflate it by a fifth. He wrote 400. You have to give 500 according to your estimates. And the second amount is that first she brings it. And then afterwards, you write the Ksuba. That's called Shumadida. So there again, um, she brings an amount, and then he writes in Suba a fifth less. Okay, we cover all bases. Mishnah. Paska lahach is like Sophie. Let's say that she made up to bring in uh, money that he can use straight away. Is is where where, where 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 is it? Which Mishnah is it? Noon what? Some of the seven lines at the top. Six three one. Yeah. Um, we just learned before that if you that if she brings in a thousand dollars, you have to put it, pay back fifteen hundred. So the Mishka continues. Paska is like Safi. She made up to bring in money. Seal of she brings in a seller, which is four zuzim for dinim. Nasa shishadinim in the ksuva, he has to write that I'm giving back six dinim, in other words, fifty percent more. Hachosin. Now we go further. The chasm, mikabel olav asara dinim lekupe lechamana mana. For every mana that she brings into the into the marriage, he has to give her ten or ten percent of that to cover her um, fragrances and spices and uh, perfume and all that. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel said it's also true. Now it doesn't explain in the Mishnah that ten percent is that weekly, monthly, daily. What's going on? And Abshimul Gamil says, Hakok Timining Hamadida. Abshimul says, you follow the whatever the custom of that country is, what a woman wears, that's what you do. 
<coughs> so the Gemara, so the first thing the Gemara asks, this Mishnah repeats what we said in the previous Mishnah. In the previous Mishnah, said bring thousand dollars, you write fifteen hundred, and here we, in the cellar, you write six dinim. So it's the same principle. Is it exactly the same principle as in the previous Mishnah? Says Gemara, Tana Iskaraba, the Tana Iskazuta. In the previous Mishnah, it talked about a big amount of money that she brought in, $1,000. And this Mishnah, it talks about a small amount of money. He brought in one seller, which is four dinarim. <coughs> and we need both. We need both. If she brought us a substantial amount of money, there's plenty of profit, so therefore he has to write in 50% more. If he only has one seller to work with, the profits are far less. A Malloy, you would think he doesn't have to pay back 50% extra. We need that. If you only knew the Iskazuta, I would say the Zutas in the very small expenses and he has a very small responsibility. When you're dealing with a lot of money, the Nofis, you know, there's a lot of expenses and he's also responsible for it. A Malloy, maybe he doesn't have to give it back such a large amount. Therefore, you need to be told about both cases. Then the mission continues. The chassan accepts upon himself 10 dinner for them, what you said before, for the fragrances. A 10% of what she brings in. My kupa, first of all, what's this kupa? All it says is the box. What's this box? We're talking about these fragrances. This is only said in Yishalayim, because in Yishalayim, the women need to put on a lot of fragrances. Doesn't so the husband buy the fragrances? Sorry, the husband has to give her a, a, a special stipend so that you should be able to. <coughs> then why is he paying extra? If he's giving, if he's paying for the fragrances, why is he paying extra? He's paying extra because it's only ten percent. He's using the rest of the money, and it's not from her money that she's he's taking. He's supposed to put his own money in. The money that she brought in is using all of that for a business deal, but in return, he has to give something to her. He has to give her the equivalent of ten percent so that she can. Um, Cover herself properly. Teisha um, <clears throat> says we learned already in the Gemara that in Shalayim this, the Torah was that strong that you can smell it all the way to Yericha, and the women didn't have to put on you know perfume and all that. So what's uh, what's the saying? Only in Shalayim they did that. So Teisha says we're not really talking about perfume. We're talking about they used to put on all kinds of um, ointments to make their flesh glisten, to remove their hair and to straighten out all the folds in their skin. I'm not sure exactly what that is to straighten all the folds in the skin, what kind of cream that is, but it's, a, I guess, an agent, anti-aging cream or something that they used to have that took where, away all the wrinkles. Where is that place? The place. The place. Someone please give the place. 66B2 on the second column, top of the second column. Boy, Ravash, Ravash has a question. When we say you have to give 10%. Remember, we had two amounts. The amount that she brought in, but the amount that he actually writes in the Ksuba. She brought in 1,000, he writes 1,500. So you say 10%. Is it 10% of, of the 1,000 that she actually brought in? Or the 1,500, the 1,500, because that's what they assessed that that's going to be worth. Which one is it? The real money, the $1,000 she brought in. Is this the first day? Every single day, he has to give her again 10%. And um, and every single day, he has to give her 10%. Shabbos is the first week, 
a kol Shabbos Shabbos every week. Im tim tzuleim a kol Shabbos every week. Chaydash is only the first month of the marriage. A kol chaydash every month. And im tim tzuleim a kol chaydash every month. Shana the shayna only the first year when they married. So it's unique. We hadn't this parsha. A kol shana every year. Taikum. Taisa is bewildered by the Gemara's question. He'll run out if it's ten percent in ten days. You run out basically. So uh, what, what's Gemara even talking about? After you run out, then you have to give her whatever she needs according to whatever she needs. This is a, like in a fixed amount. Doesn't matter what you need to give her these ten ten mana. <clears throat> um, so the so they said the question mark Gemara's question basically is: Do you give her one lump sum, or do you spread it out, whatever it is, as long as it takes? And then once you finish, there's no rule anymore how much you have to give her. You give her according to her dignity, according to her status. Or the, and that's Mara's question, basically. Give her a lump sum, or you just spread it out. And the Gemara's wording it this way, but that's the Gemara's question. Says the further, like a super. You get, take it out one lump sum, but you just keep on drawing it down, you know, in, in the in amounts. Yeah, no, 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 Someone Samach Vav. Sixty-six. Sixty-six. Sixty-six B2. Samach Vav. Samach Vav. Now the Gemara today and, the, and tomorrow, this beautiful Gemara all about Sadaka. Maisa, there's a story, and it's a very sad story, and we'll have tomorrow some more stories about her. We know Nagdim and Ben-Gurion is one of the wealthiest people. We'll have a Gemara Gittin. There were three wealthy people in Yerushalayim that could have supported the entire um, community of Yerushalayim. And one of them was Nagdim and Ben-Gurion. And he was a very generous person. But we'll soon see the Gemara is not happy. She was that wealthy. She was very wealthy. Ruled for her Arba that she should receive four hundred gold coins that she should have received four coins. What happened was her husband died, and she, so she went to Bezin to um her husband died and she was married now to Bezin. She went to Bezin to work out what her entitlements are, and so for one day, just for one day, they, and because she's such a wealthy come from such a wealthy family, four hundred gold coins. So she said back to them, now for the average person, it's an absolute fortune. But for her, she's such a wealthy person, she felt that they were being stingy on her account. So she said to them, This is what should happen to your daughters. And they all answered, Amen. Now you had the same thing yesterday, but yesterday it says, they did not want to answer, Amen. Because um, her husband died, she was married to her brother, and the Chachamim didn't want that the same thing should happen to them. So they refused to answer Amen. She was a Yavama, no? She was a Yavama, I think we said. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the Chachamim didn't want to answer Amen because although the, the blessing she gave them partly was good, but the other part was that she, in her state, they didn't want to say Amen because you can't divide the Baruch in half. And they didn't want their daughters to be a Yavama. And here they did answer Amen. So first of all, from this Gemara, we learn out, from yesterday's Gemara mainly, we learn out, it says in Sforim, that if anybody gives you a bracha, you must answer Amen. And, and how do we know that from the Gemara we learned yesterday? Or, and today. Today they did answer Amen. Yesterday they didn't answer Amen. They had to explain themselves why they did not answer Amen. So an Amen is even, it's not just on a bracha, but if somebody gives you a personally a bracha, you must answer Amen. 
Otherwise, it's a curse. Otherwise, it's a curse. So yesterday, we talked about how much wine they gave her uh, for cooking. And, um, and, and she gave them this bracha, and, and they did not answer Amen. Why did they answer Amen today? So Tayshah therefore learned as a result of that, because this is talking about that her husband was still alive. But they didn't know how to, what the rule is, how much should she give. So they went to the bezin. Oh, beautiful. But Rashi says the husband died. So it's very difficult to understand the difference between today's Gemara and yesterday's Gemara. Why yesterday they refused to answer Amen, and today they didn't. So the difference is only what Mufashi want to say is that they, she did not marry her brother-in-law yet. And yesterday she was married to her brother-in-law. So is the problem that she's married to her brother-in-law or the problem is that she lost her husband when she was young? So um, not exactly sure. How, it's hard to understand Rashi. But Tasis says clearly her husband is still alive. Anyway, let's continue. <clears throat> he was escorted by his students. She was collecting barley between the dung, um, the extra feces of animals, Arab animals. And she was there going about looking for, for some food, some barley. When she saw them, she covered her hair. I guess she was out alone there, nowhere, and she was trying to go between the dung, so she removed whatever she was covering, she didn't get all dirty. But she stood up before them. She says to Rabbi Echel Mazakai, I need some food. My daughter, who are you? She said, I am Nagdimen Ben Gurion, the daughter of Nagdimen Ben Gurion. Amalabiti. So he said, My daughter, Mama Shabesavicha Hechen Halach. I don't understand. You were so you came such a wealthy family. What happened to all that money? Amalai Rebbe, she says, Loikadain Matlin Mitlab Shalim. There's a famous saying in Shalim that Malach Mamain Chaser. If you want to salt your money, you want to preserve your money, you want to make sure you're wealthy, Chaser, make sure that you give some of it up. Make sure you give Tzaka. If you give Tzaka, you will remain wealthy. And if you don't give zdaka, you won't. Malach mamen, If you sold your money away, you want your money to be salted, chaser. Make sure you reduce some of that money and give it to zdaka. The amila and others say chesed. Give it not chaser, but chesed. Give it away as charity. So he said to him, What about your father-in-law? He's also a very wealthy man. Amila, she said, and he gave you a whole bunch of money for the wedding. She said, because we put the money together, we pulled the money together, my father's money came and, and ruined also my husband's money. Where's the place there, please? Where's the place? What page? Somebody Six, please say. 66B3. 67A1? 66B3. Second column. She said... <clears throat> Rebbe, Zoharata, do you remember you were the one who signed my Ksuda? turned around to his students and he said, Zoharani, I remember very well. When I signed on her Ksuda, but I read it, I couldn't believe it. One million golden coins. I mean, could you imagine what that's worth today? What was worth then? One million gold coins. Chutz Michel Chaman. This is apart from what her husband brought in from his father, his parents. 
into the Ksuba. Absolute fortune. When Abiyah saw her plight, he couldn't help himself, but he cried. And he said, Praiseworthy are the Yidin. There's nobody who can actually have exercise any influence over them, any control over them. If they don't do the right thing, they don't give zdok or whatever it is, then Moisin Biyad Umish Hashem gives them over in the hand of a very poor nation, of a very downtrodden nation. Not only in the hands of a downtrodden nation, these are the Arbaim, the Arabs, look at that, she has to go now and, scar and, and, and scavenge whatever food she can find, even amongst animals. Difficult to understand because we have in Margitin where it says there, we have other Gemaras, whoever starts over the Eden becomes a very powerful nation. They should always make sure that when we go Golas, we always end up with the more powerful nations. That's where we end up with Golas. And that's sort of to make life a little bit easier. And here we're saying that we end up beyond, I guess you're just talking about this particular circumstance. So you might, I don't understand. What, what are we talking about here? What do you mean, Dr. But Tanya, they said, he was such a charitable person. When he used to walk from his house to the base of Medrash, they would put out all these linen um, mats in front of him. He shouldn't have to walk on the dirt. He shouldn't have to walk on the gravel. So he walked in. It was very comfortable. And then what did they do with all of these uh, linen carpets that they put out and, and, and rugs? Immediately after he walked on it, the poor would come. And they would take it right afterwards and take it home. In other words, he gave it away every day. He gave away all of these wonderful rugs. So the Gemara says, that's no proof. Didn't, he didn't think for one minute about the poor. He just did it for himself. Afterwards, it's worthless, so he gave it to them. Or, true, he gave a lot of tzedakah. For us, it would have been a, a, a substantial amount of tzedakah. But he was such a wealthy man, he should have given more. People say, depending on the size of the camel, that's the kind of load you put on him. So the richer you are, the more tzedakah we expect from you. Tanya, we learned. Just finish this little part. I should see the consolation. I myself saw this daughter of She was collecting barley. You know, hooves of the horses in Aku. And I, and I refer to her and I remind myself of this particular pasuk. It says, "Im if you don't know the, the, the nice of the women, follow the footsteps of the sheep, and go ahead and help graze your goats. Your goats, your bodies. Knows if you um, if you don't um, keep the Hashem is saying basically it's a, it's a, it's a, a marshal. If you don't keep my teda and my mitzvahs, this is what the end is going to be. Like you yourselves are going to have to go like with the sheep going and to find food there in the pastures. Okay.